0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So I'm welcoming you to First Baptist Church this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible with you um, or if you have a Bible app on your mobile device, please turn with me to the um, book of Luke. And we're going to be looking at chapter number two. And uh, the book of Luke is actually the third book in the New Testament. Uh, It's right after uh, the books of Matthew and Mark. And uh, it is right before the book of the Gospel of John. And if you get into Acts, you're a little too far. So uh, Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin reading that text in verse 22. And uh, it reads this way. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, the baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord before he had seen the Lord's Christ and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought the the chi, in the the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he took him in his arms and blessed him and uh, blessed God and said Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what he had said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to the Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until She was eighty four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I want to welcome you back to part two of this series um, titled Christmas is Coming. And and in this series, we're actually taking a look at parts of the Christmas story that so often we just kind of read through and overlook. Uh, There are parts of the Christmas story, like like other parts of the Bible that that we read, that we just kind of like skip through. We just read through and just kind of skip over without actually thinking about what that part actually might mean for us or hold for us. Uh, But these parts of the story that we skip over usually do mean something. They usually have a lot to offer us, uh, because there, there are people in, uh, in in these stories like this who who, sp- who spend their lives waiting in hope for the coming Christ. In fact, that's what this story is about. It's about people waiting for the coming Messiah. These people can teach us really a great deal about faith and hope and what it means to be a devout follower of God. And this story right here is actually about two of these people, Simeon and Anna. And their story, like so many other parts of the Bible, is a story that we oftentimes will read and then we'll just kind of overlook it. I mean, how many times have you ever heard anybody talk about Simeon or Anna, when it comes to the Christmas story. You, you really don't hear it a lot, right? How many times have you heard somebody preach a sermon about them? Or how many times have you heard those names mentioned in a Christmas carol? I mean, we hear lots about shepherds and wise men and angels and, and long trips to Bethlehem on the backs of a donkey. Um, we talk about singing and we talk about and we sing about and we even preach about things like the census and mangers and swaddling clothes uh, and even Herod's order to kill children. We even talk about... The gifts that people brought to Jesus, but how many times do we actually stop and think about and talk about the story of Simeon and Anna, Or what about John the Baptist? I mean, I mean I mean I 'm not talking about the John the Baptist when he was older, but the baby John the Baptist like we talked about last week. How many times do we actually talk about the meaning of those stories? See, you know, John the Baptist was the one who leapt in, you know, for joy in his mother's womb before he was born at at the very voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? How many times do people actually like hear that story and then think about the significance of that? Or how about the the story of John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? They were faithfully waiting for the coming Messiah in this dark world of political and economic and religious oppression. Uh, There's a story of faithfulness in a dark time where Christ came to a certain people, you know, and and, 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 and he, that, that they were waiting for him, you know, and they were waiting even before he actually came into the world. And they were waiting for this hope of the Messiah. You see, we read through these kinds of stories, but we don't really stop. Very often to think about what these stories might mean in the context of the Christmas narrative and what they might even mean for our own lives. And, and it's the same with, with, with this part of the story. I mean, you know, we have Christ. He's taken to the temple of God in Jerusalem by his parents, right? And two obscure people who who make only a brief appearance in the narrative, you know, they they, they appear there and they worship God. And we really don't really stop and, and long enough to think about, you know, what it means and what significance their lives bring to the text. I mean, I know for me, at least I, I haven't, right? I've read the story many, many, many times in, in my life. I've read through it so many times and thought, that's nice, right? I mean, there's just old people that are excited about seeing Jesus, right? I mean, imagine the kind of excitement that older people usually show towards towards young kids, right? Especially when, 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 when those older people have grandchildren, right? I mean, I mean, they're just older people who are always excited to see younger babies. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you might even be one of those people. I'm not saying that you're old. I mean, okay, I'm just... Saying you might be excited to see a young baby, okay? And that's how it was for me. And so this part of the story was like that. I mean, people getting excited about seeing a baby. And that's how I read it for so many times. And I just read past this story like it's a footnote to this actual text, right? Without any real meaning or application for my life. But let me just tell you the truth, okay? The truth is this. Everything in the Bible, everything in a Bible is there for a reason, Okay? Every detail in the Bible is there for a purpose. There is something to be communicated in every word and in every verse and in every text. And this particular text is no exception to that. There is a story here that needs... To be heard. Okay? These two older people. Simeon and Anna. As Jesus is brought to the temple. For his ritual purification. He is met by these two characters. You know, that we have never seen in the Bible. And you won't ever see again. right? But he's met there for a reason. And even though we don't know much about them. Their story has actually something really important. To teach us. You see before Christ was born. These two people. They were waiting for this very moment. They were hopefully and prayerfully waiting for this moment to come. They were waiting for years and years and years. I mean, they have they have their whole life that that they've been waiting for this particular moment, right? And I don't know if you noticed, but 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 look what how they describe Anna. It says that you know basically she's really old. Luke says she was advanced in years. That's just a polite way of saying she's old, right? And it said that she lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 years old. And then it said that she did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting in prayer night and day. She was waiting for him for this very moment for years and years to come. And then then what it says about Simeon, it said that that he would not die until he saw the hope of Israel, right? Right. That once he sees Jesus his, with his own eyes, it says, Lord, he says, Lord, I can now die in peace, essentially is what he's saying. Lord, I can finally rest in peace. Simeon was actually a very old man. In fact, tradition, church tradition holds that he's about 117 years old. Now, I don't know if he's really that old. The text doesn't really say that, but we get that sense, right, that he is old, right? He, re, he, he obviously is waiting for a promise, and he's been waiting for a long time. I mean, he says, I can now die in peace, Right, he's been waiting for this particular moment for a huge part of his life. And, and obviously Anna has been waiting a long time too. And, 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 and as I think about their story, there's something in this that, that, to, to teach us. And, and what I want to spend time this morning is, is looking at their story. Because I believe that there's something in this story that all of us need to learn. Because, because here you have two people waiting in this dark world for the promised Messiah. And they believed with all their hearts. All the stories that they heard since they were kids. Stories that had been told for over 400 years. While, while the voice of God was silent. They had been hearing these stories. And they believed these stories. And they continued to prayerfully and hopefully wait for Jesus to come. You see, these are the people, the faithful remnant. The Jewish people were holding out hope generation after generation after generation, holding on to the hope that God would finally one day fulfill his promise to send someone into the world to make things right and to make things new. That's their story. These two people faithfully waited for that hope. And and, and what I want to do is I want to take a little closer look at their story and I want to learn from them and more importantly, not just learn from their story, but I want to learn what we can do to take a piece of their story and actually apply it to our own lives and our own time. Because because here's the thing whether you realize it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you care or not, we right now are living in an extended period of silence. I don't know if you guys understand that. We're living in an extended period of silence from God. The voice of God, the way the Jews had experienced it way back then is silent. The way, that God, the, the, the way God's voice was heard through the prophets in the Old Testament is silent to us today. You see, it was a big deal back then when, when, when they had 400 years of silence to the Jewish people. But we right now are going on nearly 2,000 years 2,000 years of silence. I don't know if you have ever thought about that. 2,000 years since the voice of God has been heard and recorded. There, there, there are no more revelations. There is no more prophecies. There have been no more prophets. The, the book of Revelation is the last book written in the Bible. And it's the last recorded words of God. There is no more. Canon has been closed. And there has been no more orthodox revelation from God since the apostle John wrote his final book. The voice of God for that purpose has been silent. Now, there are some people who would say that there is a new revelation. People who belong to religious traditions that we would label or call cults. Now, before we get all twisted up about this word and what it might mean, um, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Because... As soon as I say a word like cult, people automatically begin to have certain images pop in their heads. They immediately begin to think of dark and secretive religious organizations. People begin to think of things like pentagrams and and Satanism and, and, and witchcraft and voodoo. They think of all the possible darkest connotations that associate to that particular word cult. But the reality is the word cult doesn't mean dark. It doesn't mean insidious. It doesn't even mean satanic. I mean, it it could include those things, but it doesn't mean those things. It actually, the, the definition of what a cult is, is any religious tradition or organization that deviates from the historic view of the Christian faith. That's simply what it means. It's just any religious tradition that deviates from the historic view of the Christian faith, particularly when it comes to salvation and when it comes to the identity of God. Which means any religious group that denies the historic, orthodox, Trinitarian view of God is by definition a cult. Which means many of our friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses are a part of a cult. So so our Mormon friends and, and, and oneness Pentecostals and Unitarian groups, they all are by definition cults. Now, understand these people are not evil. They're not insidious, right? They're not, you know, devil worshipers, right? They're just simply lost. They follow a false teaching. And many of them are our friends and close community members. And, and many of them are even our family members. And we, we care about them. And we, we love these people. But they're unsaved they belong to a religious system that denies the historic essential orthodox doctrines of the christian faith and they have a different gospel bible says not to follow a different gospel this is a different gospel it's a heretical view of god and salvation in scripture which means they're part of a cult and many of these cults claim that there's been a new revelation Many of these cults claim that there, there has been a new word from God. In fact, the Book of Mormon is supposed to be a new revelation or, or what their prophets say. And some of these teachings from, from, from the Jehovah's Witnesses say the same thing, that they believe in a new continuing revelation. But the, simple, but the truth is simply this. For nearly 2,000 years, there have been no new revelations. There is no new books of the Bible. There is no new New Testament, right? There is no new prophets. There have been no new declarations. There have been no new, thus saith the Lord. We have right now, we're living in a 2,000 year, an extended period of silence from God. The voice of God that makes declarations for his people through the prophets, like it did before, that voice has been silent. But I want you to hear what I'm saying here. Just because God's voice is silent doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. Just because God isn't talking to the nations through prophets doesn't mean that we can't hear him. In fact, that's why I want to look at this particular story. In this story, you have two people who live during the 400 years of silence, right? Where there is no new prophecy and no revelation from God, but yet they're still able to individually hear the voice of God. They're able to hear God speaking to them. And it's because of that... And it's because of what they hear. These two wait in hope with expectation for the birth of the Messiah. You see, there's something that you and I need to understand. In fact, if you understand this and actually embrace this, it'll actually change your life. Right? It, will, it will give you the power to change everything in your life if you actually come to terms with this and understand this. And what you need to understand is this. God's voice may be silent in the world, but he still speaks to his people. Particularly those who are devoted and obedient to him. Let me say that again. God's voice may be silent in the, in the, the wider world. There may be no new revelation. There may, may be no new miracles or no new signs or prophets. God's voice may be silent in the world around us, but he still speaks to his people today, particularly those who are devoted to him and those who actually seek his voice in fact psalm twenty-five, fourteen. we read the friendship of the lord is for those who fear him he makes known to them his covenant the friendship of the lord is for those who fear him he makes known to them his covenant now what does it mean to fear the lord what is what does that mean for us well it simply means to reverence god and to obey him and to be devoted to him. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to reverence him, to obey him, to be devoted to him. And so this text is telling us, you know, what to what that, that people who do this, that people who fear the Lord, all right, enjoy this friendship with him, and he makes known to them his covenant. He reveals things to them. Now this particular verse that we read in the English standard version that not like we normally do actually doesn't really fully communicate the full breadth of what the author is trying to say in this text because because this word friendship uh, that, that gets translated here actually comes from the Hebrew word right here it's called it's pronounced sod okay and this word sod isn't a simple word it's actually a word that has a very big complex range of meaning to it in fact sod originally meant Cushion of a couch. Okay, that's what it meant, and that might seem weird, but that's exactly what it is. All right. Okay. So it is a cushion of a couch, and and as, as strange as that may be, the idea behind this word, as it's applied in this text, is what do you do with a cushion of a couch? You sit on it, right? Well, who do you sit on the couch with, right? You sit on the couch with people that you are close to, right? People that you want to talk with people. You want to hang out with people that are, that, that are, you're close to your friends, your family, people you trust you know, you typically sit in close proximity to people that you are close to. That's typically who you sit on the couch with, right? That is typically the people that you want to hang out with and have meals with people that you are close to. So this word becomes a symbol of friendship and closeness and intimacy and trust. And so this word actually grew to have this sense of a close knit group or a, a, uh, Um, Like a closed council or like a secret assembly or an inner circle, a very close group of people who can tell each other the most intimate and deep secrets. In fact, the NIV actually takes that idea and renders the verse this way. It says, it says, The Lord confides. The Lord confides in those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. That, that, that fits, right? The New American Standard Bible actually um, goes to say, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Again, that fits as well. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. He will make, uh, make them know his covenant. You see, the the, the point of this particular text is this. God speaks to those who earnestly seek him. That's the point of the text. God communicates to those who are devoted to him, who are obedient to him. Even when, when the rest of the world can't hear him, God still speaks to those who earnestly seek him. And that was true then, and it's still true today. And the point of the story of Simeon and Anna and the broader point of their lives that we're going to try to apply to our lives is God may be silent in the world, but God still speaks to his people. That's the point. God may be silent in the world and he may be speaking through prophets and, you know, and, 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 and books of the Bible, right? I mean, he may not be speaking through private prophets and there might not be any new books to our, uh, our, um, a holy Bible and and he might not be doing these amazing miracles like parting the red sea or bringing someone back from the dead. But God still in these times of silence and in those times of silence still speaks to his people. And today we're going to learn how that happens and how that works. And we're going to look at this story and we're going to actually take it and unpack it. And we're going to talk about how and why God speaks to his people and how he can speak to us. And ultimately what what we're going to deal with is, is if you want to hear the voice of God in your life, and I want to hear the voice of God in my life, how can that happen? Okay, And and not just for Christmas, right? But for the rest of our lives and the rest of the year, how can we actually hear the voice of God? And so let's go ahead and let's let's back up here and take a look at this story. And um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to take this line by line. We're going to look at the details. And and then um, Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 22. It says... And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present to him, present him to the Lord. As it was written in the the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now this right here, let's talk about this because there's a couple of cultural things that are happening here that... Because we're not first century Jews, we just don't quite relate to, so we might not be familiar with, okay? Mary and Joseph going to the temple and bringing Jesus there was not simply something they decided they wanted to do, okay? It wasn't like that they were just like hanging out in Bethlehem thinking, you know, it's just six miles to Jerusalem. Let's just take the baby Jesus over there and let's just have the priest bless him. That'd be kind of a cool thing to do. That's not what's happening here, okay? They are actually going to the temple at a specific time because they are, obligated by the law according to their faith to do that. In fact, there, there's two things that, that make them obligated to this. Number one, every firstborn son uh, born to a Jewish family was to be dedicated to the Lord according to the law of Moses. That's why Luke says every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn male person and animal actually was belonged to the Lord and they had to be dedicated to God. This is the first reason they had to go to the temple. The second reason is, is because according to the law of Moses, a woman who bore a son was considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, they were to go to the temple and then offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, actually she was supposed to offer a yearling lamb, but because she and Joseph were so poor, they couldn't afford that. And so then the law made an exception to where they could offer turtle doves or pigeons. Now, These are actually important details, and and, and here's the reason why. Because Mary and Joseph arrived with Jesus at the temple at a specific time, 40 days after Jesus was born. Jesus is 40 days old at this point, okay? And here's the thing that you have to understand. These people were dirt poor, okay? Which means Jesus' birth was not celebrity news in Jerusalem, Okay? They were not VIPs, they were not celebrities, people were not waiting at the temple for the Jesus to come and make some grand appearance. There was no red carpet, There's no big announcement, nobody even cared. Mary and Joseph were poor out-of-towners and no one paid attention to poor out-of-towners in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was filled full of poor out-of-towners. Okay, there were thousands and thousands of poor people in the city and there were hundreds and hundreds of poor people who visited the temple. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus, their arrival was not an important event to the rest of the world. All right? It would have actually gone unnoticed except for there was someone waiting for them. He, Simeon, took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Now there's a a couple things that we need to look at here in, in this part of the story. Simeon, as this text reveals to us, all right he is there at the temple not by accident and not by coincidence okay he is there because god led him there okay that's what it says. He came in the spirit to the temple. The Holy Spirit was with him. The Holy Spirit was leading Simeon, All right, He was, he was guided by God. God was speaking to him and revealing things to him. He told him that this, it, it, by the spirit that he would not die. He would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. God, during this time of silence, before Christ was born, told Simeon that he would personally get to see the Messiah. And notice what it says. It says that he was waiting and mm-hmm. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now this consolation of Israel is a way to say the promised Messiah. That's what he was waiting for. And, and this was actually a traditional prayer at the time. The traditional prayer was Lord, may I see the consolation of Israel. People would pray that every day, Lord, may I see the consolation of Israel. People prayed that all the time. Faithful Jews held on to the hope that they would get to see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel in the world. And they were faithfully waiting for that day to come. And Simeon, was one of those faithful people but god spoke to him and he promised him that he would see the messiah and then god led him to the temple to the exact right time to the exact right place in order for that to come true and simeon then picks up the child and he worships the lord these the words that follow that are actually a song it's like the fifth song in the book of luke he's singing lord And now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then notice what he says here. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Now this part right here is interesting because he is a very Jewish man who grew up in a very Jewish culture and he's standing in the middle of the Jewish temple but he's talking about God bringing revelation and salvation to the Gentiles. That is absolutely unheard of. That is not something a Jewish man would normally say because Jewish people at that point really didn't concern themselves with the salvation of Gentiles. It wasn't that they were jerks. They just didn't think in those terms, right? In fact, the Jewish people this time didn't even go to dinner with Gentile people because they considered them to be unclean. They weren't concerned with their salvation. They were concerned with the salvation of Jewish people, but there's this guy, Simeon, a Jew worshiping the Lord because of the coming salvation that's going to be offered to the Gentiles. You see, these aren't Simeon's words. God is speaking to Simeon and through Simeon. And then in verse 33, it says, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for the sign, for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then he inserts this, this, this phrase and his sword will pierce through your own soul. Also Simeon's words, here he worships God. Right. And then he turns and he immediately begins to speak words of prophecy over Christ. He says, Jesus is going to, going to be the cause of many to fall in Israel. Well, the Bible says that Jesus was a stumbling stone for those who don't have faith. Right. And he will cause many to rise in faith to God. And he also said that his life and his work, his ministry would be, be a sign that people would oppose and it would reveal the true nature of their hearts. And then Simeon gets really specific. And he says, Mary, Right? Mary, I've got some bad news for you. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is a very specific prophecy for her, letting her know that she's going to absolutely suffer because of what was going to happen to her son. And this was a prophecy that was fulfilled, and we absolutely know it. And this is important because this isn't something that Simeon just kind of pulled out of thin air. He didn't start just making stuff up. God was telling him what to say. God was speaking to him and through him. You see, the dark, in the darkest parts of history, during a time when the rest of the world could not hear the voice of God, God was speaking to Simeon. Because God's voice may be silent in the world, but he still speaks to his people, particularly those who are devoted to him and obedient to him. Verse 36, we read, and there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel for the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all the, who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, Jerusalem. Anna, too, heard the voice of God. In fact, she was called a prophetess, right? She knew exactly where to be. And when when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, she knew exactly who he was. The redemption of Israel. She worshiped God, and then she began to spread the good news about the Messiah who had come into the world. In this dark time in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire had absolute economic and political power. And the Pharisees had complete religious authority during this time of oppression. When, when the voice of God had not been heard by the nation of Israel for 400 years, God was speaking to Anna. Because God's voice may be silent in the world, but he still speaks to his people, particularly those who are devoted and obedient to him. You see, this is part of the Christmas story. Okay. It, this part of the Christmas story is all about how God was still speaking to his people. I mean, last week we saw God spoke to Zachariah and Elizabeth, and now we see God speaking to Simeon and Anna. God makes a point to reveal to them the identity of the Messiah, and he directs them to be at the right place at the right time. So they can actually bear witness with their own eyes the fulfillment of the promise that God had made hundreds of year before. Hundreds of years before, a promise that they've been holding on to since they were little kids, a promise that their parents held on to, a promise that their grandparents held on to, a promise that their great grandparents held on to. God directs them and He speaks to them all during this time when God was silent in the world. So, why does this God speak to these two people? Why does he speak to people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna and other people? What makes these people so special that they get to hear the voice of God when the rest of the world can't hear? Well, the the answer is actually quite simple. The answer is they were listening. And I know that might seem just oversimplified and maybe even contrite, but it's the truth. They could hear the voice of God because they were listening to the voice of God. Remember, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. God speaks to the people who actually listen. Well, then how do we listen to God? Well, you listen by fearing him. I'm not talking about like, you know, arachnophobia kind of fear. Okay. Some of you got have that pretty bad, right? I'm not talking about fear of heights or, or fear of confined spaces or for your agor- agoraphobics, fear of people. I'm talking about an absolute deep seated heart reverence and respect for God. Okay. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It is a reverence for him. It is a <clears throat> It is a love for him. It is to worship him and to be devoted to him. It is to stand in awe of him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. In fact, look what it says about Simeon. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Simeon, the Bible says, was righteous. Meaning that he was obedient to God. And he was devout. And the Greek word that gets translated as devout means to fear the Lord. That's what it means. It means to fear the Lord. It means to be pious. It means to be circumspect. In fact, the word actually literally means to grab a hold of something. Well, right. Right. And so being devout is this idea of actually with our minds mentally grabbing a hold of God. It means to be continually thinking about God. Right. Right. When you, when you keep your thoughts and your mental focus on God, that's what it means to be devout. And that's what it means to to, 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 fear the Lord. When you're continually aware of God, when everything that you do is done with God on your mind, that's what it means to be devout. That's what it means to walk in fear of the Lord. That's what it means for Simeon here. That's what he was. He was a righteous and devout man. But what about Anna? Was she also devout? Well, Luke says she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting in prayer night and day she continued to worship God all night and all day. She lived at the temple. Her life was determined by her singular focus of her heart and mind on God. Okay? She had a good mental hold of God in her mind. She was a prophetess. Okay, I mean, she was always focused on God. So I would say that she was devout. Well, what about Zachariah and Elizabeth and the story we told before? Well, Luke says that they were righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They were righteous, they were obedient, and they were obedient to all the commandments and all the statutes, which means they knew the commandments and the statutes. Well, you don't come to know the commandments and statutes unless you actually spend time with God learning his word, which which means they kept their minds on God. They were also devout like Simeon and Anna. You see, the common thread between these four people is that God spoke to all of them and he spoke to them because they were listening. They had their ears open to the Lord because they feared God. They were obedient to God. They were righteous before God. They were devout toward God. And all four of these people had lives that were defined by a deliberate and intentional closeness to God. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted. They, they were obedient toward his commandments. They lived lives at focused. focused. Focused on honoring and glorifying him. They were devout toward God. And because of that. Because of that devotion. They could hear God when he spoke. They could hear his voice. And it wasn't because they were special people. Understand that. Okay. They could hear his voice. Because they were doing everything in their power. To actually listen. See, the rest of the world didn't hear the voice of God because it wasn't listening for God. That's the difference. And it's the same today. God is still speaking to his people today. The question is, is, are we listening? I mean, let me just tell you too. I mean, I'm going to tell you what the answer is. I think for the most part, are we listening? No. For the most part, are we listening? No. The thing is, is everybody... Everybody wants a direct revelation from God. Everybody wants to hear from God. Everybody wants to hear the voice of God. But most people don't want to do what it takes to actually listen to God. Everybody wants direct revelation from God. But most people don't want to take the time to hear what God has already said in his word to us. God isn't silent in the world today simply because he's not speaking in direct revelation. God is silent because people are not listening. It was the same way 400 years ago. I mean, mean, 2,000 years ago, when it was the 400 years of silence, he stopped speaking to the nations of Israel. But during that time, the the world couldn't hear him, but God never stopped speaking to his people. God always speaks to his people. The problem is, is we just don't want to do what it takes to hear that still small voice. Instead, we want the big sign from heaven, right? We, we, we We want the big miracle, you know, the sign from God, you know, we want the message written across the sky, so did, and so did the Jews. Everybody wants you know, the big movement of God. We want to see the Red Sea part. We want the pillar of fire to go before us. We want fire to come down from heaven. We want, we want the sun to move backwards, right? But we don't want to listen to the word that God is speaking in his word. We don't want to listen to what God has already said. And most people don't want to take the things that God, you know, take the things in their lives and actually take them to God and bathe them in continual prayer. Most people don't want to simply sit and wait. In our world, we don't want to sit and wait, waiting and listening for the Holy Spirit to speak into our minds and to convict and pierce our hearts. Most people want to hear from God, but we don't want to listen. And most people want to know what God's will for our life is and what God wants for them. But they don't want to do what it takes to hear what God actually has to say about it. They don't want to get on their knees day after day after day praying for insight. They don't want to get on their knees praying for direction and praying that the Holy Spirit would lead them and guide them. They don't want to grab a Bible and read a text and reread that text and read it again and again and again. And then actually take a notebook out and a pen and actually take it apart line by line, word by word in order to see what God's actually trying to say. They don't want to devote every part of their lives to honor and glorify God. They don't want to make the changes that they need to make in their lives in order to be obedient to that word. They just want God to speak down from heaven the way he did in the old days. They want to hear God's audible voice without actually having to do anything. They don't want to do what it takes to listen to God's voice. But Simeon did. Simeon it, did what it took to hear the voice of God. And so did Anna and Zechariah and Elizabeth. And all the people who were faithful to God. All these people spent time with God. They spent time with God in prayer. They spent time with God in his word. They spent time meditating on, on the word of God. They spent time worshiping. And as a result, they became obedient to the word. They became righteous and devout. And because of that, they could hear that voice of God. And the truth is, you can hear his voice too. If you'll just... Make a point to listen because God has given us his very word, right? And, and his word isn't just some stories about just the past. His word is alive and active, okay? God doesn't just, hasn't just spoken through his word. He still speaks through his word. He is actively speaking through his word. And anybody who's spent any time reading the word knows that God actively speaks to them. And more than that, God has given you the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything that it says. It says will teach you everything and it will remind you of everything that Christ said. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you the truth of God's word and he will illuminate your mind. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you constantly will communicate with you and guide you and direct you. And the word of God promises that, that God will answer you. In the book of James, it says, "If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and he who, gives, uh, he who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, you see, God can and will speak to each and every one of you. If you will listen, you can hear the voice of God. you can hear God's voice, even when the rest of the world can't. In this extended era of silence from God, I can hear God speaking in my life, and you can hear God speaking into your life. Now, I'm not saying what you're going to hear is God's audible voice. Hey, hey, stop doing that. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm I'm talking about is, is, is that you can hear the voice of God when you read his word, right? And, and, and when you, when you, you can, you can hear God's word as he directs your life and continually you know, when you come to him in prayer, right? God will direct your life. God will order your steps. God will open doors. God will close door. God will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will bring you the greatest sense of peace that you could possibly imagine in this dark world. If you will just listen for him if you will fear him and be devoted to him, if you will walk with him and keep your heart and mind focused on him, God will speak to you. That's not the question. The question is, will you do what it takes to listen? You see, we, as we approach this Christmas holiday, And what it means for us to, and the promise that, that Christmas represents. And as we think about the fact that God sent his Son into the world to bring light and hope, and we think about the stories that surround Christmas, let's remember that Jesus came into the world, okay, that the world wasn't looking for him, right? The world wasn't looking for him because the world could not hear the voice of God, it refused to listen. But there were those who remained faithful to God during this dark time. People who cleared their minds and cleared their hearts. And they waited and listened for God to speak. Now, we right now stand closer than ever before to the end of history. I don't know how far that is, Al. But we live in a world that is deaf to the voice of God. And it's not because God isn't talking. It's because we live in a world that is so consumed with self and so consumed with materialism and so consumed with postmodernism that the voices of all those clamoring for attention are drowning out that still small voice of God. And we live in a world that does not hear God. And because of that, the world is growing darker. Now, there are flickers of hope. We still see that. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that there's a trajectory, that, there, that, that history is going somewhere. And when it does, there will be a point in time where it will be the right time that Jesus will come back and he will judge the world and he will make all things new once and for all. And when that happens, if that happens in our lifetime... Will we be like Anna and Simeon and Zechariah and Elizabeth? Will we be able to hear the voice of God? Will we be like the rest of the world, completely deaf and unprepared for the coming king? Do you want to hear the voice of God? So with that, what I want you to do is I just want you to ask yourself that: Is Do I want to hear the voice of God? And if you say, yes, I want to hear the voice of God, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to take some time this week and ask yourself, what can I do to open my ears to God? What can I do to fear him? What can I do to be devout towards God? And this isn't, again, this isn't like theology, like 501, one, all right? This is stuff that you guys already know. Do I need to spend more time in the word? I, prob- I can probably guess you guys probably know the answer to that question, right? Do I need to spend more time in the word? Or is it, do, do I need to spend time in the word, period? Because I'm not spending any time in the word, Right? Or how about, do I need to spend more time alone in God with prayer? Or maybe is it to study the word of God and, and really look at the details? Or is it simply, do I just need to meditate more and think about the word of God more? Right? How about spending more time in fellowship with other Christians? What about worshiping God more? What about getting plugged in to serve God? What areas in your life can you grow to open your ears toward God? What areas in your life can you, over the next few weeks as we approach Christmas... Can you identify that you can think about to grow and help you to be able to hear the, the, the voice of God better? Because, again, hearing the, the voice of God isn't about some magical incantation. It's simply doing the things that God's calling us to do in the first place. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be in fellowship. Be in uh, worship. Be in service. Those are things. So which is it? What, what's the area of your life? And here's what I want you to do, okay? Is I want you to identify that area, okay? Whether it's being in the word or whatever. And write it down, okay? And then once you write it down, here, here's, here's the most important part. Do it, okay? I don't mean to, like, repeat a Nike ad, but just do it, right? If it's to be in the Bible, then be in the Bible, right? If it's to be in prayer, then be in prayer, right? Don't make excuses. Don't talk about, like, New Year's resolutions, right? Don't make promises to, to that someday, you know, just do it, right? If it's worship, worship. And if you're not sure what you need to do, then then come see me. Then we'll talk about it. And we'll pray together about what you need to do to be able to hear the voice of God. So identify it, write it down, and then and then do it. And, then, and the last thing is, is everything that I've just talked about, everything I just said, actually is, is based on a big assumption of something important. You see, no matter how much you read the Bible or how much you go to church and how much you pray and how much you want to sing worship songs, if you don't actually have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just not going to hear the voice of God. Okay? If you don't have a life-saving relationship, if you've not put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, right, then you're just not... It doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to hear the voice of God. So you need to start there. You need to turn to Christ and be saved. Now... Um, I know that most of you, you know you've most of you personally who've given your life to Christ, but, but if some of you maybe haven't taken that step, or maybe you thought you haven't take, taken that step, but you realize I really haven't because my life hasn't changed. All right, here's what I want you to do: is I want you to pray with me. All right? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've not actually put your faith, hope, and trust in Him, then pray with me. Okay. Um, and, and, and when we pray, just understand this isn't like again some magic set of words. It's not how you know God's going to like bless you. These words really can just represent what, what the cry of your heart is, that you're going to make a decision today to begin to turn away from your sins and to follow Jesus. So let's all bow our heads. And uh, again, if you're ready to receive Christ, just, then just, you can just repeat after me you know, right where you are. Heavenly Father, I realize that um, no matter what my life entails, I face a really big problem. I'm a sinner as your word says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's not anything I can do about it. I can't fix it on my own. I can't make myself right. Your word says that all my best efforts are but like filthy rags before you. And so I'm hopeless in my sin. And I realize that there's a penalty for that sin. Your word says that, that, um, that the wages of sin is death. That like, what I deserve rightfully for my sin is to be cast away from you. And, 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 and to go to an eternal torment in hell. And, Lord, I realize I stand trembling before you, realizing that's where I'm at and that I need you. I need your salvation. But I take you at your word where it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that ever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have in that moment eternal life. And I believe, Lord. I believe that Jesus came into this world, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, died on the cross, was literally raised physically from the dead three days later, and now stands at your right hand. I believe that with all my heart. Your word says, if I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I'd be saved. Well, I confess it. Jesus is Lord, and I believe that he rose from the dead. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would save me and that you would send the Holy Spirit as a sign that I have been saved, Lord, and you would help me to repent of my sin that I would turn away from the things that draw me away from you and I would turn towards you in faith and that I would turn away from my own efforts and all that I can do and I would put all my hope and trust firmly on the saving work of Jesus Christ forever and that I would turn and follow him and be his disciple. And I thank you for that. And I praise you for that. And I pray... Lord, that those who pray that prayer, Lord, would, would would receive that sincerely, Lord, and that you would change them and transform them. And I pray, Father, for the rest of our congregation, Lord, that you would help us to, to hear your word, Lord, that I know that we all have hearts for you. But, Lord, give us the heart for you that has, that has this deep desire to hear your voice, that we would be in the word continually and in prayer continually and in fellowship continually, that we would continually have you on our minds and our focus and our hearts, Lord, and that we be people of your name going out in this community and not just being okay with just having a little Sunday visit here. And we would go out into the world and we'd storm the gates of hell and we'd kick open the doors and we would say, have you heard the name Jesus Christ? And we'd proclaim that name and we'd bring people back here, Lord, and disciple them to go and do the same thing till everyone in our community hears the voice of Jesus and can be saved. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Father, for your blessing over those who have needs, that you'd meet them in their needs. We pray for those who are sick and who are injured. And we pray for those who are not here that they have traveling mercies to be back here. And We pray that you're glorified in everything that we say and all that we do this this Christmas season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.